Hey, Kate. Yeah? Do we give legal advice on this podcast? Oh, gosh, no. Hostile work environment. Exactly. Hey, an appropriate workplace topic. Hostile work environment. I'm the human resources director. Little Miss Hostile Work Environment. Hello, and welcome to the Hostile Work Environment podcast. <laughs> my name is Mark Alifans, and I am here, as always, with my giggly co-host, mm-hmm. Kate Bischoff, who loves that I say the exact same thing every episode <laughs> for the intro, word yes. for word. Yes. I'm super giggly today, too, so. See, mm-hmm. that's, that's, I mean, I, I you know, I was going to say that's, that's, that's great. I love, I love giggly <laughs> Kate. Uh, I didn't want to, though, make it sound like if you're not giggly, that that's problematic. So I, you know, but oh, I do yes. love giggly Kate. Okay. Um, okay. So, so how are you? How's it going? I think I'll make it. I mean, we had an 80 some degree day yesterday here in Minnesota, which is unusual for May Day. Normally, May Day is just a little bit cooler, uh, but it's things are coming up rosy over here. How about things with you? Uh, how's you enjoying your what second, third, fifth lockdown in Oregon? <laughs> yeah, we're you know well, we've been locked down more than most states most of the time. Uh, but hey, uh, while correlation may not be causation, I'm I'm willing to to read something into this. <laughs> we are the third we we have the third least number of cases per capita over the course of this whole thing of any state. I think only Vermont, Vermont, and Hawaii are the only ones behind us. And so, if we were to compare. I would point out that I think Minnesota has two to three times as many cases per ca- per capita as we do. Mm-hmm. However, what you're referring to is the fact that while nationally cases are dropping about 20, 30% over the last couple of weeks, Oregon's has spiked by 50% up. <laughs> yes. And while that's like a relatively low number to a still relatively low number, as a trend line, it's very bad. So our governor has put us back, not to the fullest level of lockdown, mm-hmm. Outdoor dining is still okay. Takeout still okay. And actually, uh, Multnomah County, where Portland is, is locked down. But Washington County, right next door, still is still where it was because the case counts there. So, so if we want to like still go inside at a restaurant, we can go to Washington County. Um, I, I think that's okay. a little silly. Like if I were going to do it, I would just do the whole metro area because people can cross county lines pretty easily. So yes, but yes. Uh, I think it's limited to a couple of weeks, just three weeks, and uh, she said she'll lift it after that. Uh, and, and I actually, as part of one of my jobs, I've seen some of the modeling data uh, around it, and I believe it is supposed to peak midweek this week and then start falling Ooh. again, assuming vaccination rates stay the same, and that's my messaging for everybody. Go get your <laughs> vaccine. There's plenty yes. of supply now. You shouldn't have to yes. be waiting. Uh Go do it. It helps everybody. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited. I get to take my new car to Duluth, which is about 140 some miles away from my house to get my son's second Pfizer shot. So it's like this is all a big test because it's an electric vehicle. Where are the charging stations? Can we get him there on time, et cetera? So well, I'm I excited. Think- this is going to be an adventure. I think things have come a long way since uh, a few years ago. My my good friend James Todd, who is an active listener of this podcast, and mm-hmm. I love you, James, uh, who lives in Seattle, came down to visit us 
uh, a few years ago in his brand new electric vehicle, and it took him seven hours because he had to keep charging on the side of the road. <laughs> and it's not that far, and we've made a lot of fun of, of James about that over the years. But so, but I think the tech has come a lot farther. So you you don't. I, yes. I'm hoping that you don't have those issues. No, I don't think we'll have those issues. I I have a plan. I know where we're going to eat dinner, which is next to the charging station. And according, like when you buy an electric vehicle, you get into a cult because like there's all these <laughs> yes. like forums and apps where people are talking about, well, this is a good charging station. This isn't a good one. This is where we should put one, et cetera, et cetera. So like there's a lot of research that you can do to be prepared. And uh, one of the lines in the joint address that President Biden gave this week was the addition of thousands of new charging stations that like broke out in glee in my house. So, yeah, I mean, it's a chicken egg kind of thing, right? Like, yeah, like uh, you want to have people adopting it, which will drive the infrastructure. But people don't want to do it unless you have the infrastructure in place. And I'm hoping that hearing thousands and thousands more charging stations may convince even someone like myself to make a switch when we, when I get my next car. 402 horsepower, zero to 60 in three seconds. Like it's the most fun vehicle I've ever driven. Awesome. So awesome. Okay. So should we talk about some real stuff? Well, I mean, I mean, it is, is it is like I mean, our employment. Joe is very our, real to me. Right. Yeah. I, we are an employment <laughs> law podcast and that hasn't come up yet and we're five minutes in. So, uh, I mean, I guess, <laughs> I guess if you want okay. to, we okay. can do that. Yes. So, Mark, have you ever worked for a small organization of around 60 employees? Hmm. I don't think so. I mean, I, I guess my one, uh, maybe a hundred, hundred. 30, okay. but not, not down okay. to 60. I think 100 or so is about the smallest I've been. So let's say 30, 33, 35 of the 100 employees up and resign within a three-day window. Would you be able to continue working or would that organization continue to be able to function Regular. Oh, completely depends on the nature of the organization. But I'd say many, <laughs> many would have some problems uh, others uh-huh. would simply say, we're just going to do more with less. <laughs> Preparing to go public. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Okay. This was a good thing. It was a good thing. We, 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 uh, <laughs> we it, got the it, loose it, weight. It, it's not, it's not Yeah. Good. Getting on the right bus, making sure the right people are on the right bus, et cetera. Right. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. There's plenty. But, but of- no, I'd say typically that 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 number of people departing would be um, crippling. Yeah, especially if they included your head of marketing and your head of customer support and the bulk of your engineering staff. Like that would be a problem, particularly if you're a software company. Well, that's what happened this week at Basecamp, which is a smallish company, like I said, between 57 and 60 employees based upon whether you count The Verge or you count New York Times. And a big group of their employees decided to take a buyout this week following a couple weeks of inner turmoil at base camp, driven mostly by leadership. That sounds like a good strategy. (laughs) So what happened was... It, like a different organization called Coinbase, uh, every organization, I don't think 
any organization right now is immune from having conversations around things like diversity, inclusion, belonging, et cetera. And in those conversations, there's been some difficult ones. Like there's our harsh, humbling realities about how organizations have done on these fronts, what steps they've taken, what kind of internal navel gazing do they need to do to be better. And this sparked a bunch of backlash for can't we just focus on the work kind of thinking from leaders. And that's what happened at Coinbase. They wanted to just say, can't we just focus on the work and not talk about these issues? Well, when these issues started bubbling up, and please remember, Basecamp has written five different books, one of them a New York Times bestseller about workplace culture and productivity. So they've got this, they, they've got this nailed. They know what they're yes. doing. Totally. <laughs> if you write a book about something, then then that's it. I am going to write a book about lots of different things if people think I'm going to be an expert and then they will all of a sudden start <laughs> listening to me. Um, if that's all it takes, then whoo, I'm in. It. I'm in. More chicken so egg they, stuff there, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So they've written all these books about building a collaborative workplace, workplace culture. And so they were struggling and talking about DE&I issues. And they get to the point where they're – one of their leaders believed that they were catastrophizing things, meaning that they were spinning, the employees were spinning these issues out of control, meaning that everything was an existential crisis when they were talking about this stuff. So they came up with the rule that they're going to no longer talk about societal or political issues at work. I mean, that's typically my response to things is that when there's a problem, I bury my head in the sand <laughs> and I come up with like really big bright line rules that completely move the pendulum to the other side uh, because moderation is bad. Yeah. And in this process, they decided that they were going to buy out employees if employees wanted to leave. So instead of just you know saying, if you want to leave, you can leave, they decided to give Six months severance to anyone who'd been working there more than three years and three months severance for anyone less. So giving people a cushion to allow them to leave. They also took away a bunch of benefits. Uh, and they were they had a membership to a CSA. So if you wanted to have your vegetables delivered and a, and a bunch of other things that would be normally superfluous. But they took all of those away and said, we're not going to talk about politics. We're not going to all this fluffy stuff. We're not going to do that. <laughs> no anymore. politics and no veggies for you. Essentially. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what happened. So then a third of their staff decided to take a buyout. And are I totally them. get it, especially if you're going to make a rule like that and then make the buyout super attractive. Right. I mean, I've, I've got clients who did layoffs in 2020 and they weren't giving six months. <laughs> right. Like, no. well, if you're doing the layoffs, it, it often means that you don't have the resources to do something like that. Exactly. But if you have the resources to pay a third of your staff at least three months of severance, you have the resources to get help to have these conversations. Consultants. And getting help to have these conversations is way cheaper. Yes. Like so much cheaper, both in the short run and in the long run. Because now, all of these people who left, 
There is an amazing, I think, I don't remember his first name. I want to say it's Jim or John Bream. He's an engineer. He has put all of the people who's tweeting that they've left Coinbase or left Oh, Basecamp yes, yes, yes. For I saw these that. reasons. You sent that to me. Uh, in fact, yes. yeah. And it's just like, wow, look at the positions that these people have. I mean, yeah. one of their products, I think, is called Hay, which allows for you know employee communication. And the guy who created Hey is leaving. And he did a big post about it. Like, wow. it's just, it's, 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 it's not even like watching a slow motion train wreck. Like, this is a high speed rail train wreck occurring. Um, and all self inflicted because I think so many organizations are having these difficult conversations at this point in time and doing their darndest to navigate them and be responsive to employee needs, understanding where they need to listen to employees, saying sometimes we have to make a hard decision and this is the decision that we've made. But just to say, fuck it. <laughs> like, I'm putting this in the fuck it bucket and we're just going on. Like, <laughs> wow. I just, I, 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 I just am speechless. I, yeah, I mean, I it's ill-advised at best, and and for all the reasons that you talked about, I'm curious uh, what you think in terms of legal exposure there might be for making a decision like that. Well, they are not making the decision to let people go. They're letting employees make that decision. Now, if the employee says, I'm leaving because it's no longer tolerable here for me, they have to prove constructive discharge that a reasonable person would also leave if they were in that situation. Uh, I think if a reasonable person is the remaining third that left, I think that's a pretty good argument for constructive discharge. If they have the other facts to back it up that it's because I was talking about diversity and inclusion. It was because I was talking about Black Lives Matter um, and how we were handling it then, maybe. But two thirds also decided to stay, at least for right now. Wow. There's just that we know to stay. about. Right. So maybe then they don't have the constructive discharge piece of it. But yep. the constructive discharge end of it is really difficult. Now, yeah. And it's a hard it's, claim to prove. Right. I, you know, I where I started going down a little rabbit hole on this was just wondering if it how it may implicate those jurisdictions that have political affiliation discrimination statutes um, like California, mm -hmm. like some other states. I, I don't think it gets to that in most cases because you're not saying I'm firing somebody because of their affiliation. We're saying we just don't mm -hmm. want to talk about it here where I do mm -hmm. think and I think this touches on what you were just saying is that how do you always know? where the lines are on what's political versus what's potentially a conversation that leads to a claim of discrimination, right? And, yeah. and, and that's the constructive discharge potentially that you're talking about. If I want to talk about BLM at work, right, and I feel exposed because of that and my, my workplace becomes intolerable because of that, and, uh, you know, that's arguably political and arguably a, a, a race-based discussion, uh, could that lead to a potential claim? I think it could, especially on the constructive mm -hmm. discharge side. So again, uh, you know, I don't think that this is when it, when, when we talk about things on this podcast in the legal realm, anywhere near the level of exposure, some of the other things we have talked about and are going to talk about today. Um, <laughs> but I think it's just unwise 
both for the human reasons that we talked about and potentially on the legal side as well. Mm-hmm. Potentially the legal side. I mean, I have been in multiple situations over the course of my career. I mean, even thinking way back where an employee calls me and said, when I was a plaintiff's attorney, calls me and said, you know, they are offering me 10 months, 12 months severance um, because they know that I'm unhappy. And, I, and my like, initial yeah. response was, take, take it. it. Take it. <laughs> like, Great. If you are unhappy, take it. Get out of like, the environment. Take the money. I, I feel fairly confident in most cases you can find another job that's equal or pays more in a year or in yeah. six months. Right. And being a plaintiff is incredibly difficult. It is you yeah. know, over and, the ringer. If you think of the thing that used to scrub your feet, you know, the cheese grater thing, it's it's being like run over by that cheese grater, being a plaintiff. So it, it, I need, would recommend yeah, it. Yeah. No, I don't recommend it either. Generally. I mean, that doesn't mean don't do it when you have, a, <laughs> right. a, 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 you know, a, a real case. a real grievance. But, you know, it requires patience because the wheels of justice are slow and you have to manage your emotions through it. And yep. it doesn't let you achieve closure and move on. Right. You do, The law only recognizes one remedy and that is money. You're not going to get the apology. You're not going to get the promotion. There's only one remedy available to you, money. That's right. So, and while money helps a lot of things, it's not great necessarily at closure. So. All right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what do you got for me, sir? Uh, you want me to, all right, I'll go next. I've got, I've got a light one and I think you're going to do, you're going to mm-hmm. do one, and then I've got two more to end with. Um, this, I forget where I where I where I saw this from. Somebody sent it to me. Uh, I apologize to whomever that was if I'm if I'm neglecting to name <laughs> you. Uh, this is an article from the Guardian uh, from a week or two ago. Uh, we don't cover European employment issues all that often, <laughs> but the one. I, I don't know. I, I'm curious. We have not prepped this at all, so I'm, I, you know, I'm just kind of putting this out there. Do if you thought of one significant employment issue that you've heard reported out of Europe, what would it be? I, I, I think this would be in the top couple that I would have listed. Out of Europe. Out of Europe, when it comes to employment issues in Europe, this is not. Oh, so you can't it, fire anybody. Well, you can't fire anybody. That that definitely sticks sticks here, right? There's also a lot of questions about uh, uh, cultural dress in the workplace, uh, so yeah. that would have been on my top list too. But yeah. the the one that this is and that I have seen come up at least two or three times before is people who don't report to their jobs but continue to get paid. <laughs> oh, the dream! So this article. Italian okay. king of absences allegedly skipped work for 15 years. Oh. A public sector worker uh, described as the king of absentees by Italian press is said to have broken the <laughs> national record by allegedly skipping work for 15 years. Police say the hospital employee continued to be paid a monthly salary amounting to a total of 538,000 <gasps> euros despite not turning up That's to work. almost a million dollars. No, that's uh oh yes, yes, yes. Sorry, there's a conversion there, but it's pounds because it's the Guardian, not, not dollars. So yeah, <laughs> yes, it's about a million dollars despite not oh. turning up to work at Pugliese. I'm oh, sorry, I'm going to butcher the Italian Pugliese Giacho Hospital in the Calabrian city of Catanzaro since 2005. 
<gasps> now age 67, he faces charges of abusive office, forgery, and aggravated extortion. Six managers are also being investigated on suspicion of having played a role in enabling his alleged absenteeism, which is rife in Italy's public sector. So this is not okay. unusual. I mean, it's an unusual no. amount, but this is the sort of thing like you get these public sector jobs in Europe and then you keep them forever and you don't, there's no accountability around them. And so people can like manage to not show up for this. 15 years and nobody notices. Well, see, and I wouldn't say that, that was a European thing. I, my immediate thought when you said king of absenteeism was India, because this is mm. also incredibly prevalent in India. In fact, like there was a day in HR training for the State Department about making sure you looked at your employee headcount and then you met everybody because you needed to know they were coming to work. So, so, so this is this this is now part of a larger Italian uh, initiative to try to stop this sort of thing. So, in 2016, I thought this was interesting. The government tightened the law against the work shy, which is not a term I was aware of, after several <laughs> high-profile police investigations oh, revealed... I'm so shy. Yes, I'm too shy to come, come to, work to work today. <laughs> uh, revealed Such just how rampant... american thing. Right, right, right. Uh, uh, just after police investigations showed how rampant absenteeism was across the public sector. In one investigation, I thought this was this was amazing. Police used secret surveillance cameras to ensnare 35 workers at San Ramos Town Hall who had been cheating the time management system for at least two years. The wives of two of the employees were caught using their husband's staff cards for clock on uh, to clock on for them, while other staff members clocked on before going canoeing, shopping, or going out with friends. <laughs> So, so like, yes, absenteeism is a problem in the workplace. We have that problem in our country as well. But I've never heard of a case in the United States, at least, that I've worked on or that we've talked about in this podcast for 15 years of getting paid. No, in. no. Or where you had your spouse clocking for you so you could go canoeing. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, yes. I thought that was amazing. Apologies to whoever sent that to me, and I'm not remembering who. <laughs> uh, but I immediately forwarded it to myself and was like, got to talk about this one on the next episode. So um, That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So I've got one involving a grocery store. Okay. So have you ever been to a Safeway? Many times. Many times. Okay. We don't have Safeways in Minnesota. Oh. Um, but when I lived in Virginia for training, there was a Safeway. We have and them on I the East Coast. We have one here too. I, we, it's one of the places we go. Okay, I'm not a fan of the Safeway. Yeah, I think it's one of those, it's like, you could have a good one or you could have a bad one. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Nancy, uh, one of our listeners, forwarded us a tweet today, or on Sunday, where an employee tweeted this. I wonder if Safeway would like to know that one of their managers fired me for missing work due to a seizure directly violating the ADA. Since I can't seem to get through to their HR, the Department of Justice, or the Department of Labor. Well, I, I mean, not, not my favorite tweet to see if I'm Safeway's Twitter help person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Well, so Safeway, within an hour and a half, 
And I, so I want to applaud Safeway Twitter because they got on yeah. this relatively quickly for a, a Friday evening. Said, hello, we are very concerned to hear this and would like to address this matter. May you please, may you please DM us the store location you have been employed so we can address this with the proper management as soon as possible. We appreciate you bringing this to our attention. Okay, so someone responds with proper channels, crickets, public last. We are very concerned. Sounds about right. I don't want to necessarily defend Safeway or not defend we don't, Safeway. We don't have any facts here. We have, we have no idea what actually happened here. Exactly. But to the employee, you don't go to the Department of Justice and you don't really go to the Department of Labor with your concerns. Uh, you go to HR and you go to the EEOC or your state level uh, agency that handles civil or human rights. Right. So, so it was, wasn't yeah. the best list of places to get the most effective response. Right. Uh, right. But, you know, uh, it's unfortunate if HR was not responsive uh, or, yeah. or their manager or, right, and feeling the and, need to go to go on Twitter like that. But I'm glad that their Twitter person responded quickly. Then there's just open questions as about as, as to what may come next and whether, you know, I, I believe I, I, I had seen that string, too. And one of the commenters very cynically said, yeah, so now they'll try to get you connected with the same HR that's been ignoring you for the last two months. Uh, and yeah. and fat lot of good that's going to do you. So. <laughs> right. Well, and, you know, in lots of retail establishments like a Safeway that have multiple locations, there's very rarely an HR dedicated to one store and one store only. And so like how, it, where it goes next from the tweet, if the person DM Safeway say this was the store, I hope it doesn't go to that HR person. I hope it goes to someone else to, to be able to right. investigate the situation as a whole, as opposed right. to, hope just this one hopefully it elevates you know. it to a to a broader place and and it yeah. sounds like it sounds like for what it's worth the the Safeway online team uh is being responsive and doing what they should do so right and and this is just another front right like mm -hmm. you we work as employment lawyers we worry about charges of discrimination lawsuits being initiated we also have this other avenue in social media where this is also a risk that you as an organization face, if you don't treat your employees right, they're going to go blast you on social media. Mm -hmm. And so this kind of thing is not unheard of at this point in time. It's how you as the organization are responsive to it that is really key to handling the message, whether exactly it was right. Glassdoor or Twitter. So exactly right. Yeah. All right. I've fun, got fun. Okay. What's next? I've got two more stories here. Um, Trying to figure out which one to do first. I think I'm going to do this one first. Uh, this comes from uh, listener Sarah Weaver in Pittsburgh. Uh, she mm. recently relocated there from here, and that's how I we know her. Uh, and is one of my <laughs> wife's closest friends. Uh, and I'm keeping tallies, everybody, just so you know. I'm keeping tallies on the number of, of tweets and emails that I get from the vast bulk of our listenership and there's there's like a thousand of you out there so like I, there's a lot of you <laughs> versus the like three friends of my wife and her friends who send us stuff and right now they're winning 
Yes. So, so, so send keep, us stuff. Keep at it and send us stuff. Um, but thank you, Sarah, for sending this. I thought this was a super interesting article. Um, this came out in the LA Times. I saw it reported in a couple of other places in the last couple of days here. Um, are you familiar with The Believer magazine? No. It I sounds wasn't. like something I would not read. Uh, yeah. Uh, Is it about UFOs or Christianity? Uh, neither. Um, it is uh, founded in 2003. The Believer quickly gained a reputation for its offbeat, enthusiastic criticism and earned multiple nominations for National Magazine Awards, considered to be a West Coast counterbalance to the East Coast-dominated literary scene. So it's a literary magazine. Like uh, The New Yorker? I guess I'm, I wasn't really familiar with it before. I'm just reading from the article. So, <laughs> okay. But, uh, Again, Nick, you Nick say Horn, believer. This, I think it's not that kind of believer. Uh, it's not, it, it's right. Um, okay. uh, but they've got like, like there's an impressive list here. Nick Hornby, Peter Orner, Amy Sedaris, Ooh. Susan Strait, Ann Carson, William T. Volman, and others have contributed to this publication. So it's not, yeah, it's, it's got a legit, yep. it's got a legit list here. So, um, the editor-in-chief of The Believer uh, is an individual named Joshua Wolf Shank. And he was involved in a Zoom incident. Oh, no. And I want to read to you about the Zoom incident <laughs> and what played out here. And then I, I thought it might be worth, uh, Sarah has asked us some questions about this, and I thought it might be worth a little bit of a compare and contrast to a prior conversation we had. Um, so okay. the, the incident here occurred during a video meeting in early February with about a dozen staff members of the believer, uh, according to three sources who were in the meeting, uh, according to Shank's literary agent and whose individual who's serving as his advisor, Shank was soaking in a bathtub during the call with Epsom salts. <laughs> To alleviate to alleviate to alleviate nerve pain caused by fibromyalgia. Oh, okay. I'm sorry for laughing now. Okay. He had chosen a virtual background to mask his location and had worn a mesh shirt. When his computer battery died, he got up to plug it in, believing the camera was off, but the video kept running. Okay, so uh, they saw his PP. Okay, so that's mm -hmm. that's what happened there. Um, uh, he reported the incident immediately, uh, as did uh, two Aww. two other witnesses uh, who reported it to uh, various individuals within the organization. Um, on March twenty fourth, he resigned. Uh, and according to his agent, he'd already been negotiating a transition in leadership. Um, but he put out a statement that said, after my lapse in judgment, I decided, decided to resign so that our work sparking culture in Southern Nevada, publishing The Believer, and host, he also works for another organization. I didn't want to complicate uh -huh. it. but uh -huh. uh, And hosting writers per, uh, persecuted in their home countries could best continue in their exceptionally capable hands referring to the others uh, who work for the organizations that he works with. Uh, so he has decided to, uh, to leave in a farewell letter. 
he said his resignation followed a dumb, reckless choice to disregard appropriate setting and attire for a Zoom meeting. I crossed a line that I can't walk back over. I sorely regret the harm to you, and by extension to the people we serve, I'm sorry. So, Sarah oh. asks, okay. if he had not... All right, so I'll, I'll read her commentary because it's, it's great, um, as usual. Uh, if it really went down like this, I feel sorry for this guy because he was in pain mm-hmm. and not just trying to jerk off like the other assholes who've done that on Zoom during the <laughs> pandemic. My question yes. is, if he had not resigned, is it likely he would have been fired or would there have been mm-hmm. any disability protections for him? Also, how would y'all have proceeded in a case like this? So I wouldn't have fired him. Neither, uh, neither would I. Uh, we would have a conversation about not doing this in the bath. Uh, and that... So, so let me step back for a second. When I do trainings, uh, we talk about mistakes. Because we are humans, we make mistakes. I accidentally hit on a media guy in front of 600 HR people. Um, So I make mistakes about this stuff. Okay. So those are normal. The response to the mistake is equally as important as making the mistake. So like there are certain things that are never a mistake. The N word, the C word, never a mistake in my book. But when it's a mistake and you own up to it right away, like him reporting it. Uh, I think just if he can get past the sheer mortification of people seeing his privates and then continuing to work with them, I think he wouldn't need to resign or be fired. It would be a, I'm really sorry. And turning the 9,000 shades of red that would have to happen with that. But I wouldn't be seeking his resignation. I wouldn't be ask, I wouldn't be firing him for this, particularly because he was in pain. This was a mistake. He owned up to it right away and knew that he shouldn't make it again. So that's, I mean, that's really that's, the goal. That's exactly my take as well. And while there would have been a, definitely a conversation around how do you, how do we manage this uh, so yes. that you're not doing that during the call, uh, and eliminating the possibility that, therefore, that that mistakes like this would happen, uh, right? There'd be some admonishment on that front, but then also a discussion of how can we help you with this situation and this mm-hmm. and this possible condition that you've got. Right. Uh, it would be like can now we that do these conference it? calls, right? Yeah. Can we do his conference calls instead of Zoom so this doesn't happen again? Right. Um. And and I apologize for laughing. Originally, I imagined him in a bubble bath. Right. Like yes. that was my first, like, oh, I'm in a bubble bath. Like my luxurious. The, yes. Yeah. Or the lawmaker who was naked um, recently on a Zoom call. Uh, so who was just changing his clothes. So like because he had gone on a run. I mean, it wasn't right, like right, he right, just right. up and decided to change his clothes. But I think in both of those situations, it is, oh, my God, I made a mistake. I'm mortified by the mistake. I have learned from this from this mistake. If the other people who witnessed it, if we can get past this, then yeah, I don't think he needs to resign. Right. So it's not a Tubin. Right. Well, and that's what I want. That's where I wanted to go with this as a compare and contrast. Right. There's an entire universe of difference between these two situations, yep. and so we've talked about 
the bad Zoom behavior of others <laughs> uh, and them getting exactly what they deserve if they lose their jobs as a result. I don't view yes. this, based on the information available, I don't mm -hmm. view this anywhere near being the same, right? Because there's questions of, of the rationale and the intent, mm -hmm. yep. right? And while Tubin may yep. have not intended for that to be on camera, it's still, he was intending to do it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He was intending to engage in behavior that one should not be engaging in on a work call. <laughs> right. This may still technically be a Zoom dick incident. It's not the same Zoom dick incident that Jeffrey Tubin engaged in, which I still search on Twitter when I'm having a bad day. So. <laughs> oh, fair enough. So, uh, Sarah... <laughs> Thank you for sending us that. Uh, I think it's a yes. really important and good example of uh, somebody who's just completely on the other side of the spectrum from what we'd already talked about, who both yeah. shouldn't have been fired and wasn't fired and arguably did not have to resign, but is so mm -hmm. willing to take responsibility for his actions, uh, puts this individual in a completely different light than the others we have talked about. And I have, mm -hmm. I have... Uh, I've got no beef with uh, Joshua Wolfshank over any of this. No, I I would hire him today because I would know that he has learned this well, lesson. Well, he's learned his lesson, and you know he's somebody who would take accountability for his actions. Yeah. As opposed to exactly. passing the buck on to somebody else or just being like, I, anyway. So, or yeah, I, I just, such a stark contrast, really interesting case uh, that's never going to be explored more fully because he he voluntarily resigned. Uh, and yeah. good, uh, good for him in terms of how he responded and handled it. Right. All right. I've got one more story here. Okay. Uh, this comes from, uh, listener Helen Michael. Thank you, Helen, for sending us this. Uh, and this is from an article in the Portland press Herald. Uh, and let's be very clear here. This is Portland, Maine, not Portland, Oregon. Okay. 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 Because uh, we would never do anything like this in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> so I've been to Portland, Oregon. Hold your uh, you still don't know what we're talking about yet. I just, I'm confident. I'm confident. All right. So, um, so uh, I'm going to kind of I tell the story here. So Sierra Boucher. Uh, I'm assuming it's Boucher and not Boucher, but I don't know. But I'm going to okay. go French. I'm going to go French. Sierra Boucher is a licensed respiratory therapist who applied for a position with Communi Community Surgical Supply through Indeed.com in 2019. She completed two rounds of interviews and received a job offer the same month. Before she accepted the offer, Boucher asked a human resources representative whether she would be eligible for a sign-on bonus advertised on the company's website and whether the company would consider a $2 increase in the hourly, hourly wage. The representative uh, said that the bonus wasn't available, but Boucher would be eligible for an increase in the hourly wage after her 90-day review. Boucher then okay. accepted the job offer and gave notice of resignation to her employer. The next day, Boucher learned for the first time that she was required to attend a week-long training in Connecticut before starting her job. At the time, she was breastfeeding her 10-month-old baby who did not take a bottle. 
She asked the human resources representative about possible accommodations, but she also mentioned the possibility of her mother coming to the training with her to help with childcare. The next day, the representative informed her by email that they decided to rescind the offer with no further explanation. <sighs> In a personnel file request, Ms. Boucher oh, sh- discovered an oh. internal email. Oh, in the internal email, email. Okay. in the internal email, the company's director of operations wrote to the Indeed.com recruiter that Community Surgical Supply was withdrawing the job offer because we see too many red flags. The director didn't see a nipple. (laughs) Different, different red flag. Um, the, the, The director specifically cited that Boucher called in to state that she could not travel out of state for training because she needed to care for her 10-month-old child. The email also mentioned that she asked other questions, including about the bonus and pay rate. The nerve. Boucher filed a complaint to the Maine Human Rights uh, Commission for sex discrimination, retaliation, and interference with the right to breastfeed. Uh, the facts in the investigator's report align with the statements that were ultimately made in a subsequent lawsuit. Community surgical supply, for their part, because I'm always curious what they're saying in response when you've got facts that disagree, yeah. right? Because I never make an assumption that there's not some other story going on here. Right. There's no other story going on here, right? <gasps> so I told the investigator that Boucher was unable to attend the out-of-state training, which was mandatory and essential to the position, and also mentioned her questions about the bonus and pay. The investigator's report included the company's explanation, quote, the event could not be moved or rescheduled, and it would not have been possible for the complainant, Boucher, to attend via video conference. In light of her questions, respondent, the company, was worried complainant would be unhappy with the company and decided to rescind her offer. In November, the commissioners unanimously Uh, found reasonable grounds to believe that Boucher was discriminated against and retaliated against. They found no grounds to believe the company interfered uh, with her right to breastfeed because she never actually had the opportunity to breastfeed on the job. Boucher has now filed her claim in court. So I'm interested in, um, so she's got, I think, a stellar case based upon the facts that you've just given me. But the question about the bonus, I'd be interested to know if they were a federal contractor. Given the name of the organization, it would make me think that they are a federal contractor uh, or at least have some federal contracts in a supply category. Because there is a transparency statement that the OFCCP requires federal contractors to give that says you can't penalize an employee for asking about money. And the bonus, the sign-on bonus, would be about money. So I hope they are concerned about that federal claim on that front with the OFCCP. So yeah. is, I, mean, I, I as, think... As, Sorry, go ahead. As, as a woman who breastfed for 23 months, uh, I like I unfortunately did not have the choice. I had to travel for work, but uh, like I get why she would say, "Can I do this virtually? Can I do this?" Well, because she never. Way? I mean, according to the complaint, she never said she couldn't go. She was asking for some accommodation to help her do it. Right? Can I have a fridge in my? She never be- said in no. My room? Yeah. According to what we've got here, she never said no. 
right? And so I understand their point at the end that there, there's no interference with the right to breastfeed because she never actually had the opportunity to. But I think that that's pretty, pretty thin reasoning thin. if the reason for not for, for rescinding an offer was because you didn't want to have to accommodate that in the moment when it was going to be happening. Right. I, I, that, mm, I, I, so it's a little bit odd to me that the, that the commissioners did not buy in on that claim, but she'll have another chance in court. And I, I, you know, it's, it's unusual that we find a story that's just so completely one-sided like that, yeah. where normally we, we either look for and have some fairly legitimate sounding response from the employers to the reason they made a decision, or we simply don't have it because it wasn't part of the reporting and we're left guessing. Right. Right. But, but in like a summary judgment motion, right. Your, your, your rebuttal, uh, as an employer, it's a very low burden to be able to state a legitimate, non-discriminatory reason for taking an action against an employee, or in this case, uh, applicant slash potential, you know, yeah. new about to be new yeah. employee, right? They can't meet. I don't think they meet that that burden here. No, which I I can't say I've ever had a case where I couldn't meet that burden. Right. This they're they're not getting over the bar, and she's got great emotional distress damages here. She's a new mom losing a job that, you know, probably could support her, help support her family. So there's probably some good damage claims attached to this. Yeah. Now on the damage side, the emotional distress. Yes. She was able to go back and get her old job. So, so that mitigates her damage quite, quite substantially. I would think, um, I don't know what the difference is between what she was making at the old job and what she would have been making here, right? So there's questions. We don't talk about damage calculations on this podcast very much because it's <laughs> like so watching difficult. paint dry. Um, uh, it's not it's not the the sexy part of employment law, but uh, I do think that there's some issues here potentially around around that. But I think the emotional distress uh, and just the blatancy of this. Uh, there could be some punitive in there as well, depending on how yeah. how various statutes are written there. So, and and those damages are more than the cost of defense. So, yes. to the extent settle the this claim, you settle this claim. No like, question. It doesn't make sense. Doesn't make so, sense. So anyway, uh, uh, thank you, Helen, for sending us sending thanks, that to thanks, us. Helen. If you find local or other articles that uh, from your community or other communities that you think sound interesting for us, uh, please send them. I can't guarantee we will get to all of them, but right now we, we pretty much get the most of them. <laughs> so, yeah. um, yes. uh, so, uh, please, please send them, uh, email me, uh, HWE podcast at gmail.com. Uh, and I, I, don't check it frequently, frequently, but frequently enough uh, for being able to, to call information for uh, our episodes, usually, because I'm a slacker the same morning that we record. Uh, but, you know. Well, and you keep them secret from me, so you get that's the, right. the pure response. That's right. And that's me, that's like... one of the best parts of, about this is seeing your reactions. <laughs> and I don't know, at some point, maybe we'll get a little less lazy here and, and put the video back up again. Uh, I do save all the video, but... Uh, <laughs> So, oh, mo- so we, you know, but I mean to go back on YouTube or Facebook, but you know, it's just mm-hmm. uh, that the the amount of, of views we were getting simply wasn't worth the time and effort it took effort. to do the video editing, uh, and the audio yeah. goes much faster. So, uh, in any event, uh, that was that was some TMI there. So, just everybody send us <laughs> stuff. HWE Podcast at gmail.com. 
if yes. you want to get in touch with us, uh, uh, you can. Well, that was a really awkward setup for that. How <laughs> how can people get in touch with you, Kate? Uh, LinkedIn, Kate Bischoff. Uh, Twitter, K eight B I S C H. Instagram. I don't. I'm not on Facebook anymore much, but just because my grandma likes to see pictures, that's why I post stuff on there. But. Yeah, but if you, if I, reach out to me. I'm happy to chat with almost anybody. <laughs> she's not going to tell you though who she doesn't want to talk to. So you're just going to have <laughs> you're just going to have to guess about that. Um, same yes. for me. You can find me uh, at the Bullard Law website. You can find me on Facebook and LinkedIn uh, and on Twitter at Salad Pants. So, uh, <laughs> Kate, this was fun. Have a lovely couple of weeks until we do this again. Yes. And next time we're going to be doing this, I will likely be in Colorado. So. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. We'll see. We'll see uh, how the altitude impacts. uh, (laughs) My voice might get even higher. Your voice. Yes. There we go. Uh Uh-huh. Sound like an eight-year-old rather than 12. Woo. (laughs) (laughs) On that note. Thanks, everyone. (laughs) We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.